Sharpie, what time is it? It's a final revelations time. time. <laughs> How you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Yeah, well, I've been busy at work, but um, yeah. I've been very busy having just the greatest time listening to the music for these recent podcasts, yeah. to be honest. I've yeah. had such a good time. Taking you back to a youth that maybe we didn't experience, actually. Yeah, this is yeah. a this is actually an interesting one. Yeah. Um, but actually, there's been some interesting music kind of released. Machine Head, I've got uh, new music out, mm. so I've been listening to their extended yeah. singles. Um, any new music yourself? Well, what are you talking about... Uh, um Machine Head, and obviously the album like, like Burn My Eyes is the, the most popular one, but I just listened to a, a new track from the uh, uh, Nightfly Orchestra, which is the band that's uh, the singer from Soilworks, Bjorn Speed Street, and their new song um, is Burn With Me, and it's like the feel-good hit for the summer. It's just a brilliant pop, like like dance, like rock song. It's brilliant. Um, I sent you a link to a Scottish band, June. I didn't get a chance to check them out, but it's definitely on my list. Yeah, that yeah. is, I really love that. It took me a minute to get my ear yeah, around yeah. it, but once I where, did. Where are they from? They're from Edinburgh. Edinburgh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, I, I posted it on on um, a Scottish uh, rock and metal alternative yeah, music site, and they, they've the, been underrated for yeah, for a while. Apparently. One of the reasons I was actually more intrigued than I might have been otherwise. Uh, Following on from their Fear Factory podcast, the algorithms—they're getting to me. Um, it's a machine, a, man. There was a an advert, I think, on YouTube or something for another Scottish band whose name—it just escapes me—something like Moonshine or something like that. Um, and I thought when I saw that, and I kind of picked up on it. Oh, Sharpie sent me a link. I wonder if they're a bit like that. So yeah, I'll, I'll check them out. What about uh, Euro twenty twenty stroke twenty twenty one? Apart from the Scotland result, I've actually been really enjoying it. Have you been watching it? I've been watching quite a bit of it, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. I just, I'm, I've just got. Uh, to me, it's bread and circuses at the moment. I have not. I, I watched ten minutes of the Scotland game and I watched uh, ten minutes of the Hungary Portugal game today, which nah. is good because I had a full stadium in Budapest, sixty-seven thousand yeah. people. It's good to see fans back. Jesus at, Christ! At events like this, so yeah. it really is. I mean, a sport like football. Rugby is probably the same. Yeah. It needs fans. It oh, just Christ, it's yeah. it, it's 50% percent of of what what it it's is more, as an event. It's more than that. The only sport I've watched in this kind of last year has been ice hockey. Um, and for the last sort of three months, they've had full stadiums uh, in NHL in the American stadiums, in the Canadian stadiums, so like Toronto, Montreal, dead. But you know, you watch New York Islanders against Boston Bruins, full house, and it's just great because you know. That, that's the thing when when somebody's getting pummeled, you want the crowd to be saying "pummel them more." Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. and um, so yeah, I mean the Euro two thousands, like twenty twenty, is just. I think there's two things about it. I think that whole the, like, yeah, Scotland are shit, but it, there's too many teams in it now. Like you know, like it, like the World Cup, because it's such a big tournament, you'd always get like some random like game like Saudi Arabia against. Brunei, who cares? Yeah. Crap, you know. But with the Euros, the Euros, it was always like quite a tight yeah. group of teams. But now that it's so big and it open, I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, I think justifiably, Europe as a continent has got, unfortunately, got a whole bunch of some of the best, yeah, nation yeah. teams yeah. in the world: Italy, Germany, yeah. France, Spain. You know, 
Mm. Portugal, and unfortunately we are lumped in. Yeah. You know, we couldn't be in Australasia or something, you know, and pumping, yeah. you know, Tongo 5 0. No, yeah. no, we'll have to try and dig out results against yeah. France or something. You know? I mean, the, there's two ways to look at that. I think, like, the way it's been structured, it meant always that the cream of the crop was going to the thing. So you always get the best teams, especially like in the early, like, two, uh, early 2000s or the late 90s, where there was all those kind of ex Soviet. Uh, countries yeah. are suddenly sprung on board. Suddenly you get like you know Serbia. Like who who are they? Oh my God, they're brilliant. Yeah. So, um, but on the other hand, the way it's a bit like Champions League. The way that it's structured, it's it's totally designed so that the big teams get through. Yeah, they are. It's, yeah. It's and it's that will kill it. And because they've made it bigger, it's got stale because of that. Hasn't exactly. It? Yeah. yeah. Like you, nobody watches the group stages of the Champions League because it's. Me. It's, it's me. You know, in fact, UEFA Cup is better, or, Euro, or Europa Cup, yeah. because at least the teams are more like tightly yeah. spaced. But anyway, we're on a music podcast, not a football podcast. Sharpie, talking, when you go to a gig, what do you need? Uh, your ticket and, and beer. Yes. Well, money for beer. But yes. So tonight we're not going for anything wild or wonderful or But we're going for quality. So, quality. Exotic. We're going to be drinking some Staropramen. Yeah, but you cannot go wrong with Czech beer. It's just impossible. It's the best of the best. Frothy. Frothy, yeah. Ooh, that's such a nice amber colour. Frothy head. God. We're turning into a well, slightly it's, pornographic. It's summer. It's been actually warm here. Yeah. So it's nice to have just a light laggery thing. Absolutely. Just to knock back, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Nice and cold. Czech beer is my favourite. That, that is, that is the yeah. Let's let's change to that. Slanchy. Uh, Prost. Prost. No, what did they say? What did they say? Pivo. Pivo. Ah shit. Well, Pivo is beer. But I forget what to say. Anyway, cheers. Campai. Prost. Uh, yeah. That's what you want. So, Sharpie, what is the album that we have been listening to this week? It has been an. Honour. <laughs> treat. And a privilege. Treat for the, and a privilege to be listening to Arch Enemy's debut album. Debut album, yeah. Debut album, Black Earth. Mm-hmm. And what an album it is. What an album, yeah. So, um, I think I'm right to say that uh, you were not so f- familiar. I, I noticed you've got the CD with you. Um, did you buy that just recently or have you had it for a while? Yeah, no, I... I I mean, I am an Arch Enemy fan. There is no two ways about it. Yeah, yeah. I am yeah. an Arch Enemy we fan. We both are, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know this album, though. Um, so I, I, were you like most people? They're kind of like you knew the female fronted Angela Gossow and more laterally. Um, yeah, I. Her name I've forgotten. It's. Uh, I got into Arch Enemy through Doom, Doomsday Machine. That yeah. was the first Arch Enemy that yeah. I bought, and then I kind of explored them a little At least bit. Lisa White Glues, sorry. Um, Bought everything subsequent yeah. from from Doomsday yeah. Machine, and then I've been a little bit maybe picky on their earlier yeah. stuff. So this is well, it's obviously their debut album, but yeah. you know this is as early as I've as I've gone. Mm. And I thought, oh, well, I'm not going to know any of this, but actually, I do because they re-released a whole bunch of these tracks yeah. with God with so, Gosso, yeah, so. Um, so they did, I think it was 2009, they did The Root of All Evil, which was basically a re-recording of some of the bigger hits uh, from the first three albums, which is Black Earth, um, Burning uh, Stigmata, and Burning Bridges, um, which was the first singer, which is, uh, was his name, Johannes Leva, I think. So mm-hmm. uh, 
male Swedish uh, singer. Uh, Angela Gossa comes in uh, kind of year 2000 or 2001, something like that, um, for Wages of Sin, which I think is an album in the same kind of um, sound. After that, it changes a little bit. So we say like uh, Anthems of Rebellion. So I think the first four albums are kind of like a, are, are a group, but obviously that Wages of Sin, which is just beside your leg there, the red one, is is where they change the tuning and they change the singer. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, change so basically, the tuning. Yeah, so basically the first three albums are in B, so we're like we're talking about, uh, so it's a, like uh, like a seven string tuning, but on a six string guitar. It's ridiculous. Um, and so like, we're listening to the album in the background here. It's so heavy, but it's fast. When you get any lower than that, you, you're, you're in danger of getting like muddy and flubby, uh, but they managed to keep it tight. But for uh, Angela Gossa, I think they, they tuned up to C, which okay. is still fucking heavy. Because um, machine head you C sharp. C sharp, yeah. So like, um, you know, Pantera, White Zombie, they would play like drop D in C sharp. Uh, and uh, you know Black Sabbath, if you know uh, Master's Reality album, um, that's mostly all in C sharp. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the first time. Like, so well, my first time hearing uh, Arch Enemy is that album that you're holding, Wages of Sin. Mm -hmm. I was at my friend's house, who's a guitarist for an Aberdeen band called uh, My Mind's Weapon. He says, "You know Michael Amott?" I said, "Yeah, I'm really into Spiritual Beggars because their album um, Ad Astra had just come out in the year 2000, and I absolutely loved it. That kind of mix of kind of deep purple, hard rock, uh, organ, you know, it just sounded brilliant." He said, "All oh, right, you'll check this out." And then suddenly, this sort of death metal sound comes on. It's cool. I like it. It's fast. It's got thrashy. It's heavy. It's got that kind of Ingvi Malmsteen guitar, Iron Maiden leads, double harmonies. And then the singer starts singing, and he sort of looks at me and he says, "What do you think about the singer?" And I was like, "Is that, is that a girl?" <laughs> he said, "Yes." He said, "Have you seen her?" Oh my god, <laughs> what a honey! <laughs> and yes, this gorgeous like blonde German chick. Um, so yes, definitely was a big, big fan of that. But yeah, you're right. Um, Wages of Sin comes out, big hit in Japan, uh, breaks them in Europe and America, and then they changed their sound a bit for Anthems of Rebellion, I think, which is the album that would have been the one that, when we were going out in the, you know, in the year 2000, would have been 20, 19, 20, 21, um, that was the one that when we were out and about, we would have heard, or mm. would have been on MTV, and they sort of changed their sound a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we're here to talk about Black Hearse, but uh, it's difficult to not talk about the whole catalogue because, you know, well, they're they're a current band, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, you know, they're. Well, I mean, the last album, Will to Power, is still kind of so it's so fresh and, and yeah. it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. And for, for a band that have spans actually now quite a long well, time, five years. Yeah. They're surprisingly consistent. Yeah. Um, and they've had a lineup changes. Mm. Quite so numerous li lineup yeah, changes well, in, the, in the last couple of years. Yeah. So the the, the classic lineup. Uh, this is a good uh, point. So you've got Michael Amott on lead guitar, and then you've got his brother Christopher Amott on lead guitar, then Charlene Dialio on bass. Um, Who played Merciful Fate, right? Merciful Fate. That's correct. And he also plays in um, I think it's a Witchery. And he plays in the Nightfly Orchestra, which brings us back to that. And what a guy! Yeah, cool guy. And um, 
the drummer, his name I just forget is, uh, of course, Daniel Errolson, Ar whose older brother is the drummer, or was the drummer in um, Cradle of Filth. Oh, really? And at the gates. Um, and then we're obviously the singer, uh, uh, Johan Lieber. So that is the classic first three album um, lineup. Although on the second album, um, the Daniel Erlison, the drummer, does not play in that album. And this one is a little bit of a dip between mm. between uh, uh, Black Earth and Burning Bridges. Um, then Johan leaves the band or is pushed out or doesn't want to commit. Bring in Angela Goss out, and then they have a. That's kind of like their like Mark II lineup, which takes them through the two thousands. Um, takes them to America, takes them to Japan, kind of cements them as the biggest sort of European thrash death metal type band. Melodic death metal thing. Early 2000s, early, early tweenies, I think the steam's running out a little bit and then, um, I mean Rise of the Tyrants I think it was 2007, it was like a brilliant album, mm. but the albums that come after that, uh, what was it, Root of All, Eve, or, uh, no, uh, Chaos Legions, I didn't think were I didn't think that's that was the first album with Angela Goos, uh, Angela White Glues. Yeah, sorry, we're just looking at the vinyl. I bought the. See, uh, I look at, at the track list and I, as the pages burn, I think it's a belter. Um, yeah, no, I, I like this album. I do like this album. I, yeah. I'll have to check it. I mean, uh, one of the reasons I, I sort of got back... War Eternal's a yeah. great song. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it tails off towards the end. Maybe yeah. that's what it is a wee bit, I think. But certainly, like, looking at it split into its LP form, certainly it's side A. Yeah. You know, that's a good time. Yeah. Well, for, so, so for me, like, I got into Wages of Sin, and then the next album, Anthos of Relent, I liked. They changed the sound a little bit to that be a bit more American sounding. Yeah, I didn't like and that then so much. I kind of tuned out a little bit. Then Doomsday Machine came in, which I think is the one that... You were was really liked. I mean, I like it as really as well. It's got the Nemesis, which Whoa, is yeah, unbelievable. This album rips from start to finish. I love this album. So this was this was the album, and this was the band, mm. Arch Enemy, yeah. that made me realise that I am missing so much with my hang up with um, harsh vocals. Yes, I thought if if I'm going to fully appreciate this genre yeah. of music, I need to get over myself a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And um, and I think Arch Enemy made the perfect band for that because like, what bands do we like? We like Iron Maiden. Why do we like Iron Maiden? It's got like melodic hooks and yeah. the twin guitars and it's kind of got gallopy riffs. We like Slayer because it's like so fast and aggressive and you know- There's hooks in there as well. And, you know. Yeah, and it's a bit sinister. Yeah. And then you've meld that two together. I like the kind of Woodley guitar solos and you like the just the, the kind of explosion of aggression. Mm. You mix all those four elements together, and you stick those lyrics on top. It, yeah, you've yeah. got Arch Enemy, haven't you? You've got Arch Enemy, yeah. yeah, yeah. And like Nemesis. <laughs> oh, I heard that song in a sampler, and it stood out a mile. It was one of the best songs released that year. I, yeah. And you know, I, I just thought, I need this in my music collection. Yeah. It's just, it, it's like Enter Sandman. Well, the thing. Or, it, um, seasons in the Abyss or yes, something. Yes. You know, it, it's of that quality and it's such a sinister, memorable riff, you know, and it's... And it's so fast because, uh, you know, because like in the new metal time, like fast guitar, fast thrashy music was not really... I mean, Slayer 
weren't really doing that much then. I mean, I remember seeing that song on like QuickTime. There was no YouTube. You had to wait for it to load on your computer for ages. Then you sometimes had to like, you know, the buffering and stuff on a tiny little screen. And I remember thinking, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it was so, so cool. Yeah. And then, and then it, then my apocalypse. Brilliant. 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 Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, so this is, but, 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 you know, we're, we're not, we're, we don't want to speak about Doomsday Machine. We no, don't. but this is the album that we first uh, together saw the band in Glasgow supporting Strapping Young Lad. <laughs> well, when you say, say that out loud, uh, it's actually, it's I, actually ridiculous, the two two bands being together. I know, I know. It's unbelievable. It's, so, it's like so heavy, you didn't, like, it's one of those things, sometimes it, it, unless you kind of, it's like drinking like a really expensive whiskey. It's only once you realise the price tag that you start thinking this is a really good whiskey. You know, you know something. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember we were a little bit. We weren't. We were a bit late. Late. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was maybe two songs into the Strapping Young yeah. Lads set, and it was so heavy. Yeah. When we opened the door, there was a pressure gradient yeah, yeah, yeah. between inside and outside, yeah. and just it was like being kicked in the face. Yes, 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 yeah. Cheers to that. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Heavy, so, heavy. Um, that was the first time I saw that, so that's circa 2005, um, and I had probably at that point slightly tuned out a little bit, uh, because at that time I was slight, a little bit tuning out in music, but then uh, I moved to Japan and I saw that they were touring uh, Nagoya, which is the city I was staying in, and they'd come out with Rise of the Tyrants. Now I didn't have the album, but I thought, fuck it, I like that guy, I like Arch Enemy, I'll go and see it. Um, and. They released a DVD in Tokyo uh, from that tour, but this album I think is is the is the best mm. of kind of like the let's say the Johan Leva style with the Angela Gossa era. I think yeah. this is the point where they 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 merge very very well. Great guitar solos, great riffs, uh, aggressive bar. After that, I've got to admit I kind of really tuned out, and it wasn't until <laughs> again I was in Japan. I got a text message from you saying, Kerry, Archie and me are playing in Glasgow. Do you fancy tickets? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, why not? And then after you said that, I went to a record store and bought the Japanese version of World Power and I put it on the stereo. and I thought, wow, that is really, really good. Because I didn't even know that they changed singer to Angela. I knew that she'd stopped and I yeah. just kind of like was not really paying attention. And I was like, geez, this World of Power is brilliant. I think the thing to say about all of their vocalists, the three of them, that they're very, very talented mm. in what they do. Yeah. Leva has his own unique sound. Yeah. He's yeah. a death metal vocalist, but he's a very unique yeah. He's death metal vocalist. Yeah. He's got his own edge, almost like a punky drive yeah, to yeah, his, yeah. His, yeah. his vocals. Yeah. So I, like, I obviously heard most of these songs on Root of All Evil, Root of All Evil yeah. and used to that slightly different yeah. tuning yeah. and cadence and things like that. Because um, play, play, I haven't actually heard that. Is it the same speed or is it faster, slower? Because the reason it's, I asked, it's, 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 we're I listening mean, to uh, the Sympathy for Destruction <laughs> cover, which is <laughs> just ridiculous. Um, it's, 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 ve it's very similar speed, but like you say, the tuning's different. So, that we so half step up. I'd say when, when you're used to hearing the w with a female vocalist yeah. and then you go back in time mm -hmm. it took my ear 
a bit of time to yeah. readjust to it a little yeah. bit, but that now it has. Yeah. You know, the songs are just as good. Yeah. They, you know, the songs stand up yeah. to that test, you know, because the quality of the musicianship yeah. and the quality and of, of, of construction of yeah. song yeah. is absolutely there throughout, you know? So we spent 20 minutes talking about um, Arch Enemy. We haven't really talked about the album that we're talking about, Black Earth, but the reason is because both Sharpie and I didn't really know that era at all. In 1996, we were listening to Fear Factory, I was listening to Dream Theater, Machine Head, Head. I was listening to Pantera, uh, Laterally Limp Biscuit, Smashing Pumpkins, yada, yada, yada. And it wasn't until actually, for me personally, it was the the advent of me getting into Spotify and I was thinking, oh, I I know Arch Enemy, what, what, what about these first three albums? Have a quick link. And I thought, yeah, quite like that. There's a bit of an earworm there. That's quite cool. Because at that time, simultaneously, I was getting into some, some of the, like rediscovering the Swedish death metal thing, which I had not, you know, which when I was a teenager, completely passed me by. And mm, then, yeah. as I was saying to you earlier, on a very lonely kind of 35th or 36th birthday, I was sitting in my house watching YouTube. Um, one of the Arch Enemy tracks came on. It was probably like for the will to power, actually. The maybe Eagle Flies High. I thought, fuck, that's brilliant. Um, and I thought, all right, fuck. Quick look on Amazon. What is, I fancy an Arch Enemy album. And then up pops the uh, 25th anniversary, you know, Vinyl collection, hundred sixty pounds. Yes, <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> sold to the man. Sold to the man. Yeah. The, the ironic thing is, actually, it came from a record shop in Edinburgh. Oh, which is bizarre. I don't know why I had to give my money to someone. Well, you're supporting local business. So yeah, that, that that baldy bastard in Seattle is getting his cut. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, um, yeah, and <laughs> I checked out the first three albums. I listened to the whole thing chronologically, but I have to say, the first three albums, because it was. I was because they were totally new to me. It was like listening to a new mm. band almost. Yeah. You know, it was so heavy. It was so. It had all the things I like. You know, melodic guitar solos, twin, twin leads, harmonies, melodic choruses, blah blah blah, and it was so heavy and so fast and so aggressive that I was like, oh my god, this is just. It, yeah, it just it, it kind of uh, stunned me. So, Sharpie. As you say, you've listened to, uh, you had been sort of broken in, you knew some of the tracks. Having now listened to Black Earth with Johan Lieber, what's your kind of first, in, what, what would be your first thoughts? It's, I think, I think it's, it is like listening to a different band. Yeah. And I think as a, as a fan of the band, you almost compartmentalise mm. the eras of this band. And you take the, each era um, for its own merits. Yeah. So, very much like you, I, heard, I, I was listening to these songs with almost a, like a new ear. Yeah. And this album, taken in the context of its time and everything like that, it just is it's fantastic. It's yeah. brilliant. It, you know, it, it's it. There's hooks on it that would. Catch a whale, yeah. you know, and but it's it's incredibly heavy yeah. though. That's the thing. It is a very very heavy album for its time. It's um, yeah. I mean, I, I just can't get over like I think this is a running theme in our podcast. How much I kind of missed out on some stuff at the time. I either disregarded it or just was completely unaware of it. Because you, 
brought out at the gate, Slaughter the Soul. Yeah, yeah. And mm. that was should have been front and centre yeah, yeah. of what we were listening to at the time. Yeah. But, but it passes by complete and I'm like you, I've had to go back yeah. to listen to this. And I don't know if it's because it didn't get a lot of traction in the press at the time. I think we were maybe just just either um, a couple of years too young or um, yes, I think we're just like if if like so um, at the gates, um, what's this album? Slaughter of the Soul comes out in nineteen eighty five. So we would have been fourteen. Mm. I think we were just, just too, too young. young, just too young. If we'd been maybe like four or five years um, younger, so say we'd been ten, that album would have had a time to like just digest, and we would have picked it up. I remember, or listen- if we'd been older, yeah. we would have been into I it. I mean, I remember listening to like Carcass, mm. um, which was um, Michael Lamott's first. Michael Lamott's, yeah. But not with him playing, there was a sampler from Krang, of, uh, there was a song Generation Hexed, which is just a great song, from one of their latter albums. And, you know, it, but that's yeah. touching yeah. on the death metal yeah, kind of thing, of, you know? Yeah, because like... And I've gone into heart work and things like yeah. that. I mean, one of our mutual friends, Nick, um, he had Carcass, and uh, it was not something... I just remember the kind of like the pictures of the kind of like body... Parts or the kind of like, what do you call it? Like the, the medical, um, you know. Uh, there's surgical, surgical steel surgical and there's look. hard work, isn't it? Yeah, um, and it, it wasn't something you know. So like for me, in 1994, five, six, death metal was just something I kind of saw like on, like uh, Beavis and Butthead. I think I think know. we we I mean, we possibly touched on it at times, we explored a little bit but pulled back from it a wee bit. There was, you know, Fear Factory Machine Head, which were probably the, the heaviest things around, but they were almost, because they were omnipresent on MTV and things, they were like, the ex- almost like the acceptable side of heavy, where yeah. this, this, this was something else. Yeah, yeah, this, this was just that, like you say, Step yeah. beyond underground sort of thing, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I've seen that. Um, I've seen you know, like in YouTube, you know, like uh, Arch Enemy playing like Nottingham nightclub in like nineteen ninety seven or in some place in Japan in nineteen ninety eight or whatever. And it's you just pick up the vibe, you know. Maybe it's the VHS tape quality, <laughs> you know, that kind of horror video. Um, you just think, oh god, I would have loved to have loved been in that. that. You know, I would have loved you because know, you all like if you're our age, which is you know nearly forty. You will recognise the people, you know, wearing those kind of like really tight grey black jeans and the sort of long black, you know, um, you know, t shirts with the you know with sleeves, people with long hair and sort of spots and kind of a bit kind of pale. That was us. Yeah. <laughs> that was us all over, like yeah, you know, you know yeah, um, absolutely. we don't get much sun up here in the north. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, um what was I gonna say? Um Yeah, so the this process of like rediscovery. So um, I mean, the first like the first two tracks of this album, "Bury Me an Angel" and "Dark and Sunny," they fucking come out of the gates like fuck. I mean, it's just like it's like being run over by a ten-ton truck. It's just yeah, speed metal, heavy melodic. It's just and the guitar play. But one of the things I actually want to say is that I find like for being for the first album, I mean, I know uh, Michael Amat from Spiritual Daggers first, but they're basically they were kind of the same time. I know he'd been playing in Carcass, but Spiritual Beggars is kind of more like a kind of I would call it like a deep purple sort of sound. Did I, when you hear this album, any of Arch Enemy stuff, and you hear Spiritual Beggars, 
you're surprised is it, it's the same guitarist because it's riffwise. It's, it's, it's almost stoner. Yes. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, stoner blues. Yeah, stoner kind of blues, stuff. a bit of doom, and that actually ties quite well in because another band that I did not know at the time, Cathedral, an English band from Coventry, well, yeah. mm-hmm. are a doom band. But some of these kind of like uh, cult bands, well, what was it, cult bands, they were big in Japan, and Cathedral went to Japan. And Arch Enemy was their Arch Enemy's first tour of Japan, which is the thing that really got them was with Cathedral. Yeah, they were the support band. And Cathedral, as as you say, is a more of a doom band. Great songs like Witchfinder General, um, and Amazing Ride. Um, Spiritual Beggars is more in that kind of like groove doom, uh, stoner, you know, rock sound. But they're definitely um, you know with the organ and stuff. Ad Astra is is superb, um, brilliant band. I saw them uh, once live back in the same night as the European Cup. We're talking about football, Ireland. <laughs> it, it was Manchester United against Real Madrid when David Beckham and Ronaldo, like Brazilian Ronaldo, was playing. Um, yeah, but, uh, me and Nick actually went to see, it, and Clutch was supporting. So I were, do you know Clutch are an incredible band. They, they are output. They are. Has, is stellar, stellar, yeah, and they're consistently yeah. qu- of high, high quality. They change their sound. Apparently, no two gigs are the same. They decide right. on the night yeah. what their yeah. what their set list is. Mm. They change it constantly. They, they should be bigger than they are, and they yeah. should be bigger yeah. than they are. Yeah. Clutch are phenomenal. Yeah. Their last album was brilliant absolutely yeah. you know i actually saw them in edinburgh a couple well, probably about seven years ago now i didn't know them but i just sort of like i haven't i'd seen them but i didn't know them when they played with spiritual beggars back in i think it was at the cat house with arch and arch i mean uh, spiritual beggars i didn't know them but i thought they were quite cool and then when i moved to edinburgh i saw them uh, i thought i'll check it out didn't know any of the stuff no actually I thought well, fuck they're great so without having actually I'm guilty I haven't invested in them no neither have I like financially or enough time you know but every time you hear the songs you yeah. know like Psychic Warfare brilliant anyway we keep digressing and um, yeah one of the things I have to say about this album is Michael Lama is a great guitarist for like actually making how, how can you say this, this is going to sound stupid the right sound at the right time so like Fields of Desolation is the final track. It has this melody. Right, to me, that sounds... Well, actually, we're listening to it just now. Yeah. That sounds like the end of like kind of like a theatre song, like a theatre play. You know, it's kind of like we've... we've, we've just survived. Epic, isn't it? Epic, epic. It's the sort of sound that it's perfect. We're leading up. The end of the gig, someone's going to come back in for a like a core, an encore. Mm. It has that vibe of kind of... Um, you know, you know, like we we've come, we've challenged, we 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 survived, we'll go on. You know, it's got a very theatrical sort of sound to me, almost operatic. So, so I've I've said before that I think guitar solos mm. should add yeah to yeah. The, the the song yeah, and I don't like superfluous Woodley Woodley solos. Yeah. These are very, very wiggly, wiggly solos, but a lot of them very structured. Yeah, you can yeah. you can hum you can yeah. hum the melody yeah. of the solo tune. Yeah. The the solos are put in such perfect places and they follow such a a fantastic melody within themselves. Like I I 
I kind of said before, I think it was the Iron Maiden episode where, like, solos, I think, should be like mini stories where they have... Yeah, yeah. Beginning, a, middle, and a beginning, middle, yeah. middle and end. And all of his solos mm. have that. Yeah. All of them. You know, and, and to constantly, with changing interest of mm. solos, I think is, is, is actually incredible, you know. I think actually that's an interesting point because the tail end of our previous uh, podcast, we were talking about kind of like how grunge sort of like, uh, was like a bushfire that killed or, or like allowed fresh growth uh, from the kind of mm. 80s hair metal. So 1996 this album was released. 1996. But you see, one of the reasons I really like this album is because like in 1996, I would have been... The, in my little world, one of the few guys listening to Steve Vai and Ingby Malmsteen and looking at the 80s guitar, like gods, Randy Rhodes and what have you, and learning how to do swept arpeggios and pedal tones and <laughs> harmonic minor scales and all this sort of stuff, which effectively had become a pastiche, you know, because everybody had done it in the 80s, right? Because you had that break, you know, we were talking about the other week, like nobody does wah wah pedal. Wah wah. Yeah. yeah. So suddenly it's gone, right? Nobody's doing it now. Nobody does it. Next person who does it and it does it well, it's going to be a big hit. Yeah. For this, like, you know, the American music and the British music, you know, British music's never been kind of flashy in that sort of sense. You know, 1995, we're talking about Paradise Lost, we're talking about Pitch Shift and Prodigy and, mm. you know, whatever. Well, uh, probably a more appropriate thing is Bolt Thrower. You know, we're talking about that kind of sort of death metal sort of sound uh, or gun or whatever, you know. In America, they're going totally Fear Factory or something else. Machine but, Head. And yeah, exactly. Um, but in Europe, or at least in Sweden, they're, they're still... Well, they're saying, well, actually, we quite like this kind of woodly woodly melodic guitar solo. Um, maybe, there's, maybe it went too far, like five or six years ago, but... Maybe if you just pull it back, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. You know, and actually, it's pretty good if you yeah. use it. And hey, some of that stuff over in the States, which is like really, really heavy, like detuning stuff, I actually quite like that. So why don't we just mix the two together? Mm. Because, you know, as I was saying earlier, like for this album, like the, the final song, it just sounds right. Mm -hmm. The first two tracks from this album are like, like you've got this amazing, you know, <laughs> and then the second song, Dark Insanity, comes out and it's like you've been like punched, like, you know, with a, like in a right, left, you know, double. So, in amongst all of those, the, the context of all those albums, like, Michael Amit is one of the main creators of, of Arch Enemy's music. He's a man. Um, and I think, He's probably the constant through all of the material, isn't he? With it, with all the the lineup changes and things, he's I think him and the bass player are the con two constants. Yeah, the drummer barring one album, the second album is the, the yeah. other three con constants. So, who do you see as Michael Amit's influences then? Ah well, well, I think you've got Richie Blackmore, and you've got Uli John Raw, and you've got Michael Schenker. And they're synonymous also with like Ingrid Malmsteen, who basically picked up Richie Blackmore and Lily John Roth and just kind of turned it up to 10 and you know, went faster and faster. See, faster. there's that name appearing again, Ingrid Malmsteen. If you ask any metalhead on the planet, do you like Ingrid Malmsteen? They'll go, ooh, no. no. You know, you know he's, he's, he's far too kind of wanky and flashy. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But you listen to any of this melodic death metal stuff, yeah. 
that thread of yeah. that neoclassical Ingwe Malmsteen yeah. goes right through that. Oh, I mean, maybe it's a Scandinavian thing. I mean, like we're talking like you know, Children of Bodden, Alexei Laiho. Oh, when I first heard Children of Bodden, I thought, fuck, this is that's just. This is Ingrid it's, it's a heavy Ingrid Malmsteen. Yeah. That was the, my first yeah. impression of of, yeah. of Children of Bodom. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Michael Lama is picking up on, on that. Um, you know, his... Because there's neoclassical but he's a soul, hints. Yeah, he's... You know, he's like, the problem with the Ingrid is sometimes he just, like, you know, goes wiggly, 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 and you get tired of it, but <laughs> Michael Amott has still got what I would call like a slash sensibility. He can have melodic guitar solos that are like really soulful. Mm. We saw them on so the World Power good. Tour. Yeah. You know, he, he does the guitar solo. Everybody in the crowd is like mesmerised. Oh, yeah. I stood for an hour basically in front of Michael Amott, yeah. mesmerised by the guy because yeah. he stands, he doesn't move a lot, no, but no. he just makes this evil sound. Yeah. Just... But <laughs> he just he e- spends two hours bl- making this this, yeah, this evil incredible bluesy sound. Oh, yeah, this yeah. just incredible yeah. sound. Yeah. Absolutely incredible sound. And it, he's a joy to watch. In the same way that I don't know, um Richie Blackmore, yeah. like you say, or um Joe Bonamassa yeah. is, you know, um he's just a different genre, you know, he but he just but there are two guitar band, and you know which guitarist is playing yeah. which part. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a, like you know, obviously, um, uh, you know, the twin guitar thing again, and like kind of let's let's call it the Anglosphere metal world, totally gone. You know, Iron Maiden were still plodding along. We did the Virtual Eleven kind of X Factor thing. You know, that is contemporaneous with this. Yeah. You know, but I mean, fucking hell, like, you know. There's heavy, and then there's kind of like, you know, Peely Wally, and Iron Maiden were Peely Wally. Yeah, I mean, Iron Maiden became heavier after that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, Brave New World is quite a heavy album in their catalogue. In, in, yeah, in relative terms. In, 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 nothing, in their context. Yeah, nothing, nothing like... Uh, no, this. nothing like that. Christopher Amma is the younger brother, and he is probably the more Woodley Woodley guy. Um, but together, I mean, it's, it's kind of like ACDC, you know, like, obviously, when you're genetically the same person... <laughs> You can play in, in harmony, and they're playing woodly, woodly, fast, fast, you know. Ah, oh, it's, you know. I suppose um, I'd, I'd like to bring up the point. So, um, now, um, uh, Arch Enemy became big uh, basically because they, they were picked up by an A&R guy in Japan for a Trooper Entertainment, uh, which is a kind of a artist representative um, in Japan, and the guy's name is what is his name? Da, 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 da. Oh, fuck. Uh, uh, Miyamoto, yeah, that's right. So, a guy, uh, uh, sorry, doesn't, um, uh, sorry, I'm just looking at my notes here. Uh, Tetsu Miyamoto, AR of Toy Factory, sorry, Trooper Entertainment is the current um, uh, AR representative for uh, Arch Enemy in, in Japan. He picked them up. And he said, the Japanese are going to love this. Mm. We'll get you over here. They came over with Cathedral. Japanese loved this thing. Because in Japan, uh, you know, the guitar, there's a magazine called Burn, B-U-R-R-N, um, which is like kind of a heavy metal guitar thing. And, you know, in the, in the 90s, 
like when I was learning guitar, my guitar teacher managed to get copies of this magazine, and it would have like the kind of all the little hints and tricks to play the fast things because the guitar magazines here at the time, Total Guitar, it was like how do you play Supersonic by Oasis, <laughs> Kill or, Me Now, you know, or Paul Weller or whatever. Yeah, completely different ballgame. So in Japan at that time, the sort of, I mean, the Japanese always appreciate kind of like artistry and detail and technique and finesse and all so that. So I was going to ask you yeah. about. Um, Cheers, Sanji. The um, kind of context around the, the whole Japanese thing about why they, as a culture, attach themselves to this really European type sound, um, because this is where they seem to have ploughed their yeah. their furrow to begin with. Yeah, well, I think. I think it's very what important. What was about the Japanese musical sensibility that thought they're the ones for us? Yeah. Like, you know? Well, I think I think it, it's very important to understand scale here. Like Japan is a population of approximately 130 million people, right? Mm. That's a lot, right? That's, tw- that's more than twice the UK's population, and it's also a very uh, like middle class population. So it's 130 million people who are you know middle class effectively. So. The, there's not kind of a, you know a minimum mid- middle class right so people have money and they, uh, they culturally they like they, they've always appreciated like um, like um, diligence in doing something whatever it is if it's you know car engines or walkmans or painting walls if somebody does it well they really appreciate it so that's very important secondly a bit like what they do in France in Japan they have actually a separate chart for foreign music Right, so you have Japanese music, and I think Korean music now is probably put in, in the same pot. But so when you say big in Japan, you are big in Japan, but you're big in Japan to a part of the Japanese audience who pick up foreign music. Mm-hmm. But remember, we're talking about 130 million people, so, so it's a shitload of people. Well, if you just think, let's say five percent of 130 million people, what's that? Six and a half million people mm-hmm. that's more than Scotland, yeah. Now, if six and a half, if five percent of people in Scotland like heavy music, it's five hundred thousand people. Yeah, you know, half a million people. You know, spread over a whole thing. You know, if you've got six and a half million people in three of like massive cities like Tokyo, Osaka, and Nagoya, which you know are you know thirty million, twelve million, and eight million, you can you can make a lot of money. You know, there's a concentration. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah, so it's an enterprise of scale. Actually, there's a lot of scale involved yeah. here. You know. Now, why do some Japanese people love this kind of heavy metal music and others would listen to Vivaldi or K-pop or whatever? Well, that's just like you and I, you know, why don't we listen to techno dance music or whatever? It's just, just a sensibility. Um, but what, you know, most Japanese people up until in the last, I would say 10 years, don't speak English. So melody is very important. So Iron Maiden was always popular in Japan because they had that kind of oh, <laughs> in the same way that you know Iron Maiden is popular in South America, where most people don't speak English, they speak Spanish, you know, but they can still pick up that kind of football chant. Mm. You know, it's easy just to like catch onto a melody. You know, the only example that I can think of is like Rammstein. Yeah. You know, most people don't speak German, but they can sort of pick up on kind of the kind of you know, eins zwei. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's some things that we can pick up on. You know, in the Japanese can pick up, or the Latin Americans can pick up on, you know, kind of, you know, sing along melodies, and the guitar solos and the choruses for Arch Enemy, I think are key things. Now, 
something like because this, this is a heavy band. Oh, yeah. This is a heavy band, yeah. but with e- extreme melody through all of their material. Well, all of their material. The album that we would have gotten, like Anthers of Rebellion, this is the weakest selling album. And, and I think it's probably their weakest of their catalogue. I didn't know it until recently I went into it to research yeah. about this. Yeah. And like I, I know all their latter stuff very, very yeah. well. And, and I would say that it's probably their weakest yeah. well, melodic this, yeah. album. So Black Earth, Pilgrim, Burning Bridges, Wages of Sin in Japan's going up, 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 up. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. This album comes out... No. Drops like a clip. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. But this is the one that got them in America. Wow. Because it's, it's, got it's more cannibal corpsey kind of vibe. I don't vibe. know. It's just it's just got that kind of m- more new metal, you know, sort of thing. I didn't dig it at all. I mean, listen, I, there's some songs that I like. I didn't dig I it at all. You know, We Will Rise, Dead Ice, New Future, you know, that, but it's it's kind of, it, it, it it's compromised, I suppose. You know, but... Important at the time, it got them, got them going. I'm doing my usual thing. I'm talking too much, but um, so Sharpie, when you, um, you know, what what are the things that you like about Arch Enemy? I think it's probably it, it's just a really clever mix of extremity, yeah. but with the melody. And and one of and, the reasons I ask actually, sorry to just interrupt you. You were the guy who got me back into Arch Enemy. When you, when you said, why don't we go and see that they're coming to Glasgow? I thought, I was, at first I was like, Arch Enemy? Fuck it, why not? Mm. And then when I met up with you, did you, you said to me, like, oh, did you check out the album? And I was like, yeah, well, I bought it in Japan. I, I quite liked it. And then, oh, you did it. And I was like, actually, okay, right, I'll go and check it out. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it is, it, there's just, I mean, despite... Their lineup changes. They have maintained a standard of quality yeah. through all of it from the very, very beginning. And to to be fair to Michael Amit, you know, from Carcass, yeah, he's uh, onwards. Straight A's. <laughs> just there, there's catchiness to the heavy songs. Yeah. You can, in the same way, you can like hum yeah. uh, Iron Maiden guitar solo yeah. you can hum the solos to a yeah. lot of this stuff you know there's just really earwormy hooks through a lot of it um, so um, we were talking earlier about kind of like uh, uh, you know, streaming services so you bought Black Earth yes you got Roots of All Evil yes having now listened to Black Earth will you be checking out Pilgrim or Burning Bridges which I really suggest you do yes I, I mean I mean absolutely I mean like I say I now compartmentalise mm-hmm this band's back catalogue into yeah. sections yeah. of kind of vocalists really yeah. um, and that's a, that's a good segue to probably something I was going to start talking about earlier before I got kind of segued um, so now um, Arch Enemy is kind of split into two if they come back and do tours which we hope they're supposed to be doing a tour in Glasgow this year we hope it'll happen to be determined uh, but for the last five years, Arch Enemy, the original Mark One lineup, tours in Japan, they've done three tours under the moniker of Black Earth, and they just play the first three albums. And now they don't. Uh, the band Arch Enemy, which is Michael Amott, 
um, uh, Charlie Duelio, Anderson, Jeff Lomas, the new guitarist, mm -hmm. and Angela Goose, they do only stuff from Wages of Sin onwards. In Japan, um, I, I think that's everywhere now. So when we saw them in Glasgow in 2017, I don't think they did any of the Johan Liebeck era. No, I don't think they did a single thing but, of it, no. Uh, Black Earth have never toured in Europe, so that is the original lineup: the Johan Lieber, Christopher Amott, Michael Amott, Charlie Diallo, and Daniel uh, Erlson. They do the first three albums. I sent you a link on YouTube. Did you get a chance to check out the live DVD from uh, Tokyo? Uh, no, I, th I kind of. I think when we first started doing kind of research on this, I, I fired you, like you off one from the Gosso era. Yeah, and it's just. Was it from Tokyo that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, can't done, I think they've done. Um, they, they, like, they they did a live album which I think they cut up into pieces and put on various things from nineteen ninety seven. The first DVD I think is in London, and I think that's from like two thousand four five. Then they did the Rise of the Tyrants, which was the one I saw them in Nagoya, um, uh, like Tyrants of the Rising Sun, I think, which is a very good DVD. And then I think they've done one in Wacken yeah. quite recently. And I'm sure there's other, like, a, um, what do you call it, bootleg things. But they're all definitely worth uh, worth checking out. I mean, they're an incredible live band, aren't yeah. they? They're just the power that comes off that stage is just like... Yeah. You won't often experience yeah. that. I suppose we should, you know, when we're talking about Black Earth, I mean, I suppose we should talk about the cultural impact of having a female singer in a metal thing. Because... In the year two thousand, that was not a thing and what, at all. I mean, we now have bands like Code Orange and Employee to Serve yeah. and things like that, and they are absolutely brilliant. But yeah, the first harsh male female vocalist I heard was Angela Gosso yeah. on with Arch Enemy, and it blew me and away. To be honest, it was the first harsh vocals we heard. I, I don't really think of listening to anything <laughs> in that kind of what what would then have been called extreme music. It was the key for me unlocking that that I, that I realised that if I was to properly enjoy the genre of heavy metal yeah. I needed to get over myself and em embrace this properly and yeah. Angela Gosso helped you know helped me with that and I think it was very important that it was melodic as well because there was like I mean I don't know bands like Cannibal Corpse but I can't imagine them being that melodic I think there's a surprising amount of of melody. Like I, I, I'm going to end up getting Cannibal Corpse's latest album because it rips basically. Um, harsh vocal. It's funny because even Paradise Lost, they've gone back to harsh vocals. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, like, like at the time, Draconian Times would have been the kind of benchmark well, album. Yeah, for, more... for, so for a long time. Um, They deliberately stayed away from harsh vocals because they thought it was it was too pastiche. Yeah. But then, through all really? that time, you had Arch Enemy doing yeah. this, you know. And I think, I think a lot of their stuff when they experimented with electronics stuff, it wouldn't have, have worked. No. But I think that's not quite right yeah. either. Yeah. You know. We're now listening to Wages of Sin, the first Angela Gossow album, just in the background. Maybe you can hear it, but. You know, if you think back to the year two thousand, you know, Corn was number one, Limp Bizkit, uh, you know, whatever rap artist, you know, to hear this kind of like woodly woodly guitar was like kind of like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. 
it was know, a little bit. classically sounding, you know, kind of, yeah. um, you know, operatic. You know, it, I, I still remember the first time listening to this. So we saw um, Arch Enemy um, in 20, was it 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. I can't remember, at the O2 in Glasgow. Thoughts on that gig? Just the the extreme quality of the of the musicianship coming yeah. and just the massive amount of, of power yeah. from the just all of the members of of the band. One of the things I think was just it was you know, just a great great night. The, They're a fantastic live band. Yeah, you know the Angela Goose came out. She's full of beans, full of energy. Great show, uh, showwoman. Um, the whole band was powerful. But I, one of the things I think is interesting for this being extreme underground music, it was quite a big venue. You know, mm. we're not. It's not not a stadium or anything, but it, um, you know, two thousand people probably. Yeah. You know, it got a write up in the main uh, like national newspaper, the Herald. Did they? Yeah. Um, well, that's right. So they did. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, I was sort of surprised that like you know. Quite a wide variety of people at the gig. I mean, we were like kind of hemmed up in the first sort of one or two rows, you know. But I just, yeah, I, I was really glad that we went to see them because I, you know, every time I'd sort of seen them, it was kind of like pr- prior, it was like, I'll go and see it because, not because I've got nothing better to do, but <laughs> I, I, I wasn't quite like excited to go. Yeah. I, I wasn't as excited as I should have been. Now looking back, yeah, you know, because like Mike, Michael Amit, he's a musician of such, and so so is the guy uh, Loomis, Jeff Loomis, Jeff Loomis, the new guitarist, yeah, yeah. They're they're guys of such extreme yeah. quality, you know. But particularly, you know, Michael Amit, that he's one of the few guitarists with his tone and the way of playing that, yeah. you know, he only needs to play. You know, a riff or a couple of notes that you know immediately yeah. who, who he is. He's got such a he's identifiable one of the few tone. guys that does use the wah wah, but he doesn't use it like um, like over the top. He uses it to kind of like it's an accent, an accent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, Christopher Amott now uh, he kind of he was in and out with the band, mm. the brother, because of just he didn't like touring so much, and I think he he uh, ended up moving to America. He's now moved back to Sweden with his. American wife. He's now in the band Dark Tranquility, released the man the album Moment, but they haven't been able to tour it for obvious reasons. But uh, Jeff Loomis, yeah, he can whittle. <laughs> and you were playing Bacon me, riff as well. Yeah, you, know. you were playing me uh, Nevermore earlier, and this is a band I know not, nada about. Yeah, an American band, um, kind of almost like post grunge. Um, what a class as a grunge band for a while, but developed their sound. But you know, every Band member were kind of almost better than that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, Didn't sound grunge to me. Yeah. No, they, um, and an American band, interestingly, but with that kind of very European mm-hmm. um, melodic death metal, death metal yeah. sound, yeah. Um, and. You can understand how he ended up in like I I hadn't heard that album for you know, maybe two years yeah and then I, I you know I played you a couple of tracks and mm. I was surprised how dark tranquility arch enemy esque yeah it was actually yeah. And, but this was from years ago years and years ago you know 
we're kind of running out of time, but so I mean, you were you you knew this album War Eternal, and that was the first album or the only album that they had this other guitarist who I uh, actually don't know, but he only lasted kind of like this album in half a tour uh, before he was replaced by Lumas, who came on as a kind of um, emergency. Do you know much about that story at all? No, n right. not, not really. Yeah, the, it's kind of a, it was kind of a weird thing. Um, yeah, uh, da -da 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 -da. Where, where, where are we? I'm just reading my notes here. I should have uh, learned these things better, but... Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not interesting. Um, but yeah, so we're nearly at an hour there. Um, final thoughts, Sharpie? Arch Enemy are a great band. And, and we're probably going to do another podcast on them at some point. Uh, uh, some other yeah, album. absolutely. Yeah. They're a very interesting band. Yeah. You know, top first. Three albums. Um, well, I'll give you my top three while you think. I'm going to say, for me, it's Burning Bridges is my favourite. I'm going to say Wages of Sin. I'm going to say uh, Rise of the Tyrant. And Black Earth is going to be in there. It's kind of like an equal and or. Um, that's my that's my thing. Will to Power should be in there. Oh god, there's so many great albums. Yeah, you can't but, do but, it. That, but that's it though. They, yeah. You know, they, they they have now an extensive back you know back catalogue. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 swapping between you know kind of Tyrant and yeah. and this one now. You know, yeah. so I think definitely Doomsday Machine. Yeah. You know, it's just great. Yeah. Um, Will to Power. Okay, it's, it's great. How's, it's great. Right, how's about an, how's about an easier question? Tyrant was yeah. brilliant as well, you know. How's about an easier question? Who is the hottest? Ah, oh, you can't Angel do that. No, Dust, that's not uh, fair. Or uh, Angel of Light Goose. In this picture, I'm going to go for Angel of Light Goose. Yeah, I'll go for those it. jeans. Are pretty tight. <laughs> and on that oh, terrible, yeah. sexist, misogynistic note. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm guilty of all those things. Yeah, sorry. Um, are, do I, have we decided on what's going to be next week? I don't think we have, have we? No, I don't think so. Mm. No, we'll, we'll need to have a, have a, a think about yeah, it. We're going to have a conference. Have we'll a, keep you yeah. in suspense. Yeah, we'll, we'll drip feed you uh, teasers. Yes, yes. About the next episode. Yeah, so check us out on uh, Twitter, uh, on uh, uh, Instagram. Uh, use the hashtag VRPC. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on all these streaming platforms. They all take your data. We... They don't pay us anything. Assimilate you um, into the machine. Yes, you're assimilated. Our voices are being recorded and used for God knows what purposes, but um, you know, we hope you enjoy our content. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope to see you next time. Adios. Bye.